Welcome to Fashion Your Seatbelt, your first class seat to one-on-one conversations with the fashion industry's top voices. I'm Jessica Michaud, and I created this podcast to share the joy I have in getting to know all the amazing people who bring this creative, inventive, and extraordinary business to life. You'll get to hear the cadence of their voices, the sound of their laughter, and feel firsthand how passionate they are about what they do. Also, I just want to remind you to leave a review. Stars are really trending right now, and it helps other very stylish listeners like yourself find the show. Now buckle up, and let's get started. Kat Debo is the director and chief curator of Antwerp's famed Mode Museum Fashion Museum, better known as MoMU, a museum that has spent the last three years under renovation. But now, after years of waiting, Kat is able to reintroduce the world to her second home, a museum with over 35,000 pieces of Belgian fashion in its archive, and a unique history that celebrates sartorial storytellers who have helped the world see fashion from new and unexpected angles. But while the MoMU is all about helping the larger world understand the different aspects and influences of the fashion universe, Kat herself hasn't been one to share her story much with the public. There is very little information about her online, other than the broad strokes that tell us that she studied literature and philosophy in school, that she first joined Momu as a curator in 2001, and she spent a couple of years as editor-in-chief of A Magazine. And then in 2009, she took up her top spot position as the director of the Momu. So I was very excited to have an in-depth chat with Kat about what it takes to be a curator, especially one working in the rather new field of fashion curation. I look forward to learning about how her studies, her childhood, and her mentors throughout her career have shaped her worldview and her collaborative nature. And I was interested to hear all about the rebirth of Momu and how she is planning to make this museum so much more than a shrine for clothing, but rather a living, breathing part of the Antwerp cultural community that interacts with the city that surrounds it and helps to nurture fashion lovers of the future. So Kat, thank you so much for taking the time to speak to me. I'm really excited about all the new projects you've got going on over there. You're welcome. (laughs) Um, You know, you're a great storyteller considering what you do at the Momu as the curator. But um, what I really want to start with is the story of your first, you know, visceral connection to fashion. Do you remember um, your first moment where you really connected Mm -hmm. to the idea of fashion in general? Oh, if I I go way, (laughs) way back. Uh, if I go to my childhood, um, I grew up in a in a family of uh, four children. Uh, my mother was a housewife, and she she uh, made all most of our clothes. So I have very very uh, vivid memories of my uh, mother at the kitchen table, um, cutting fabrics, um, laying out uh, the pattern pieces, and I think that that really left an, an impression um, uh, on me. And because when I was a bit older. I was allowed to assist her um, with laying out the pattern pieces. And so I think she she taught me the basics of how clothes are, are the construction of clothes, the, you know, the a sense for, for fabrics, a sense for style as well, uh, the importance of, of, uh, of the cut of a, fa- of, of a, of a piece of, of clothing. And I think, yeah, she, she, she brought me the, the, the love for clothes and the love for craft, I think, as well. Um, I have to ask though. So, you four kids and your mom made your clothes. Did she dress you all alike? Was it a was it a sound of music situation going on? <laughs> uh, sometimes we have. I have two brothers and one sister, and I have an older sister. And sometimes with my sister, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but then uh, uh, 
mostly we had different colors. We had the same dress with different colors. And I also remember uh, uh, we had a picture of me and my mom sort of twinning, wearing the same, like, uh, same, the same 70s dress. Um, yeah. <laughs> Were you always in the same color? Was your sister always blues and you reds or was it just, did you? Not always, not always, but sometimes she, she, uh, she matched the, my mother matched the outfits. Yes. So I, I've always, you know, growing up, I'm always fascinated and I tell my kids this, that, you know, you never, there's so many careers out there in the world that you have no idea that exists. Mm -hmm grow up and you discover that. And I'm, I'm curious in relationship to the world of fashion, you know, you, you had this connection with the visceral and the idea of fabrics and how different cuts lay differently, different fabrics in relationship to the fabrics, mm -hmm. etc. But when did it kind of dawn on you that that there was an impact of, of fashion could have on the individual and, and as on the society in general? Was there a, a moment where you, and then, you know, an extension of that, when you realized that there was a whole area of career that you could have in that space? I mean, there those mm -hmm. are kind of two sides to the same question. Well, I don't, I don't think there's a, a, a one specific moment. I think just, just walking around in any major city in the world, you you immediately feel and see the impact of fashion. I think we live we live um, in a in a very visual visual world. We we consume images um, every day, and the the whole online evolution, the digital evolution of the past decades have have just fastened that process of consuming images and and, and impressions. So if you walk around in the city, you you see a fashion image on on every corner, on every every street. And that has a huge impact on how we think about beauty, how we think about gender, how we think about race. So I think I, I quite quickly realized the, the power of fashion and the impact that fashion has. And that makes it also an interesting industry to, to study, to analyze and to reflect on, because that's what we also do at the museum. We reflect on, on fashion, fashion as craft, fashion as heritage, but also fashion as an industry. It's an applied art. So you have these many different aspects that make it very interest, interesting for a museum. Well, I mean, that you kind of answered my next question, which was, you know, you have a degree in literature and philosophy. So there's clearly, you know, with the with the museum setting, philosophy comes into play. But when you were studying those degrees, getting those degrees, was the idea to go into curation because it's such an interesting field. It's kind of a quirky little um, area. It's a small community of people. I'm just curious as to was that the thinking when you moved into it, or did you discover this idea of curation later on? Well, I, I, dis I discovered it later on because I think the the you should not forget that fashion curation in itself is quite a young um, uh, field of research. When I was studying, fashion curation was, was uh, you, you could not study it anywhere. Now you can study it at the, at the, at the Courtauld, you can study it at, uh, at the London College of Fashion. It was, was non-existent, so I really learned the curation on the job. I made a lot of mistakes, but I always say you learn <laughs> from making mistakes. Uh, so it, it, it was non, non-existent. I think, yeah, my, my first love was with literature. I did also a specialization in theater studies. Oh. And I think there, you know, I, I, I found sort of the connection in, in theater studies, in performance, um, in contemporary dance, that the body is central and the body is also central in, in fashion. Yeah. So I think I could, I, I, I still can, can, fall back on on the sort of the academic framework I got um, during my time at university and 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 still it's still useful still useful today and I always um, like to to work with uh, people that have different theoretical backgrounds mm -hmm. I, I feel as a, as a curator it's important that you're not just 
a fashion nerd or a fashion expert. I like that people can bring in different contexts, different frameworks that have, that they have a knowledge of of film, of music, of art, of uh, politics, uh, even economics, because these are all fields that that sort of touch fashion as well. And and to yeah make an interpretation or make an analysis that that um, is is broader than just you know what's the fabric, what's the embroidery, what's the technique, what's the craft, what's the fashion story. The the at moment I think we like to bring a broader uh, context that is not just limited to the object. I'm curious then in relationship to, it sounds like you've kind of talked about this already, the kind of mindset you have to have to be a curator. I mean, you, you learned on the job, you said, what what do you need? To, I guess you have to be curious. I guess that's the fundamental yeah. thing that you need to have as a, as a curator. Absolutely, curiosity. But I think that you also need that. That's a basic skill for a journalist as well, I think, yeah. <laughs> curiosity. <laughs> I think as a curator, you should definitely not have a big ego. Mm. You work with a lot of creative minds who are often also uh, egos and you have to be able to, yeah, you, sometimes you have to be a kind of a psychologist and to, to be able to, to negotiate um, things with, with um, these um, creative minds. You also have to be very um, flexible. Uh, what I also say, you, you have to, you know, be, be um, at home in, you have to have a lot of interests, eh? film, uh, photography, music, art, uh, economics, politics, uh, sociology, but but definitely yeah flexible and and um, I think be able to to move around in different worlds. You have on the one hand side the world, the theoretical world, the academic world, and on the other hand side you have the fashion world, the the um, the, the the creative world, yeah. and these are two different languages. And as yeah. a curator, you always have to find a balance between these these languages and when I started 20 years ago I really felt there was a huge gap between these two worlds and also a lot of distrust and I think I was so lucky to to be able to start um, with Linda Lopez as a director she was trained as a fashion designer and I was trained as a curator as a as a, a, a with a, I had an academic background and so we we somehow really matched uh, very well, and I think we learned a lot from each other, and 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 managed to sort of uh, bridge that gap. Yeah, yeah, you complement each other. Yeah. I, can, I can absolutely relate. I when I was working at Launchmetrics, which is a data analytics company uh, that works in fashion, they needed somebody to translate the language of fashion to the tech people, and and then also yeah. explain what the tech people were trying to say yeah. to the fashion people. So I absolutely get what you're coming, you know, talking about with those, you know, being that kind of translator between the two worlds. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, sorry, if I can, what else is important, I think what, what Linda also learned me was uh, to to learn to 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 see, to to not only to sort of understand in, in a rational way, but also to see and to feel, to, I think emotion is also so important in, in, in fashion. And and when when we worked on our, our first exhibition, uh, I remember it was really funny. I uh, we we came together. We had a whole afternoon, and we were like doing a kind of brainstorm. And I brought texts, and she brought images, and that just said it all. And I really had to learn to to also sometimes you know put the text beside me, and then um, to also work learn to work in a visual um, way. Mm-hmm. And I think good fashion curators are the ones that can merge both worlds 
you you did mention earlier, you know, mistakes along the way. There's been no schooling for this, you know, when you started out. And as you said, you know, and I agree with you, mistakes are where we are actually just learning experiences. What was um, a, a misstep, let's say, in your career that you really took took note of and and switched your perspective a little bit, or or you said, okay, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna really change my direction, or I'm going to, you know, I'm gonna note that for later. What is there? Because I think that those are really where we learn and grow as humans, and those kind of missteps, and those, you know, we mm-hmm. see where, where our point of view needs to shift. That's a tricky question. Huh? <laughs> I'm just admitting <laughs> professional mistakes. Um, <laughs> no, no, I think it's 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 well, maybe also what I, I just um, explained about working with with creatives. Sometimes mm. you, you don't manage to have the match with the designer you work with, and and every every um, um, every process is different. Yeah. And I always also tell my team we we we. Experiment is important, but experiment can be very scary too, because you you experiment also means that you have to allow yourself to 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 make mistakes, and that can be you know also how to you know curating fashion is fashion is not made for a museum. Mm-hmm. You you exclude one of the most important things in fashion that's a body, mm-hmm. so you always work in a in a static context with mannequins with busts. And and there you can you can make mistakes you can you can uh, present it in a way that you think oh no this this really doesn't look this this doesn't translate the energy and the dynamics mm-hmm. of of the uh, um, uh, that that the designer uh, uh, created and we, we we didn't succeed in translating it in an interesting way to to the museum yeah that happens quite quite a lot actually. Um, yeah, it's always That's finding great. new it's ways to, yeah. to curate. Communicate it. Especially if you're talking, because, you know, I come from a place of, I've been to Olivier Thiskin's shows since the beginning, you know, I've, I've experienced that firsthand. So I'm experiencing, you know, a presentation at the moment very differently than somebody who's, who's never had that pleasure or that, that gift to that opportunity. So I, I absolutely get where you're coming from to be able to recreate that atmosphere in the sense of the designer in a, yeah. in, a in that yeah. way, it's so complicated. Um, but I do want to kind of uh, drill down into the, the, what, puts Momu different or sets it apart from other institutions. I can't imagine what it was like to dig into the archives. I think you have over 30,000 pieces. Like what is the, how does, can you see that the selection is different for this, for your museum or or the approach is different? Can you talk about really what does set it apart? I think it's always, it's difficult, difficult of course, to compare yourself to other museums. So I won't, I won't compare Momu to other museums, but um, I think what, what makes us, Quite specific is that we we really want to show that 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 or translate that context and not just focusing focus on the object. On I, I always say that the garment is just one of the end products of the creativity of a designer, mm-hmm. and it's it's the the challenge is to to bring in the entire creative world of a, of a designer or to bring in the impact that fashion has on our society. It's something we are working on now with our opening exhibition, Emotion, mm-hmm. to 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 really think. Okay, we 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 are working in this industry and and. Um, what impact does this industry have, and how do how do we translate it to um, 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 to an exhibition and to to a museum? And uh, in the past, we've we've worked a lot with uh, quite extensive exhibition designs, 
to just gen generate that, that context. Uh, we've also um, experimented a lot uh, about what I explained earlier, how to, to replace that body. Because yep. um, I feel it, it, it often frustrates me yeah, how to, and, and I, just to give you an example, when we were working on the Margiela Hermes exhibition, so an exhibition focusing on uh, Martin's time as creative director for um, the Hermes uh, Women's Wear, we really wanted to uh, bring the story that he designed collections for women of all ages, uh, women in their 20s, 30s, 40s, even 60s, 70s. You can explain that in a wall text, mm -hmm. but that doesn't communicate it. If, if I read that in a wall text, you read it, you say, yeah, whatever. <laughs> but okay. you have to see it and, and feel it. So how, how to do that? You can, you know, show some catwalk images and say, well, he casted like uh, um, uh, different models um, with, with um, uh, at that time, did a lot of street casting. Mm -hmm. And then we we uh, decided to, we asked um, Hermes if we could use their archive to mm -hmm. uh, make films, uh, which of course is not possible with museum objects, but with the, the, the Hermes archives, they allowed us to do that, um, as it was also under, under, under the supervision of, of Martin himself. And we invited former models of um, uh, Martin, uh, for MS, we're now, of course, 10 to 15 years older. Mm -hmm. And we made these very poetic um, films of these women. I think the youngest was end of the 30s and oldest was um, uh, early 70s. Mm -hmm. And I think through these films, you really felt, okay, this, is, this fashion is really working on women uh, of different ages. Mm -hmm. Well, I can totally um, confirm because I was at those shows and loved those presentations and saved my pennies and bought a piece from those, <laughs> those collections. I bought a, a scarf over the shoulders with the pockets. That was all I could afford. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. The, that was, that the, was, I was like, I have to have a piece. Like, same thing for the Dries Van Noten show where we, where the, the models walk down the, the middle of the, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. from that. Like, they're like key moments yeah, in my fashion yeah. history. But I, you know, I absolutely can. And it's so great that you were able to, bring that to life because it was so yeah. I don't know it was such a quiet revolution the way that he did that when Hermes and doing Absolutely. it in yeah. yeah 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 and maybe another other example um, um, from an older exhibition we did when we did um, a solo exhibition with Yoji Yamamoto he he's he insisted that people could could try on the garments which oh, wow. I mean he said oh this, this is really impossible you know this is not allowed in the museum <laughs> Uh, and then again, he said, yeah, you can work with my um, archive. And then we had a, a separate section in the exhibition. And the exhibition was also in, uh, entitled The Dream Shop. So mm -hmm. it was a, a sort of a sort of shop we recreated, the fitting, fitting cabins mm -hmm. with some uh, staff assisting you to try on some garments and explain you also the garments. And the interesting thing was that you can, again, explain um, the notion or the concept of an oversized garment. The Yamamoto often works with oversized garment, this concept of ma, the air between the garment and the body, and how that also uh, is an important element um, in, in his design uh, philosophy. But you can only understand that when when you wear it, when you when you really feel okay, you know, women of different with, with different sizes wear these in different ways, and and how genius that that concept is. And that was super fun to 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 do. That was also the only time that people could try on garments in in the in the museum. Mm -hmm. um, well, that I mean, definitely that was an experiment. That actually makes me think about the times we're living in now, because the idea of a bunch of different people trying on the same garments in a you know in a 
in a shop, let alone a museum, it seems completely impossible in the, in the current climate of COVID. Mm-hmm. I know that the museum has, you know, been going through reservations, and there's the big launch in, in you know, on September 4th with the with all of the new, new you know, exhibitions and things you're going to be doing. But I did want to, and I want to talk about that, but I do want to talk about what this last year and a half has been for you in relationship to how you've been looking at maybe the the digital aspect of the, the museum. Mm-hmm. I work with a friend who her fo- sole focus at Google is to help museums digitalize all of their content and make mm-hmm. it available online. But I'm curious as to what this last year and a half has made you think in relationship to the work that you do and how you can tell that story in a, in a way where people mm-hmm. are able to experience it and come and visit the museum, whether it's closed for renovation or closed because of a global pandemic. Yeah, yeah of course, the digital is, is super important and, and and the pandemic made it made it clear uh, even more, but we already for, for years, we were working on, on a digital strategy and how and, and 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 we are thinking about how to make our, our um, how to um, translate our, our content to the digital in ways that are relevant and I think that's really important I think the comment I heard most from friends or, or people uh, during the pandemic about museums you know very hastily uh, uh, digitizing their content that it was super boring that yeah. that you know museums you know decided to film an exhibition and put the film online. It, it should be relevant and it should be exciting. It should be interesting. And that means you have to think about different ways. The, 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 the recipes that work for a physical exhibition don't work for an online exhibition. Mm-hmm. And I, I think you, you saw the same struggle with designers. Yes. You overnight had to, to do their presentations digitally. You know, some of them were really interesting or even moving because that was was my my uh, biggest question how to translate the emotion of, of a good fashion show yeah. uh, where you know someone is doing something live for you as an audience it's just 15 minutes but when all the elements are, are good you, you it can be like a magical moment very emotional is that possible in in a in a digital way and with some designers I really thought it was very irrelevant and very boring and with others it was yeah like you you had to feel like okay yes this this really works and i think that designers will in the future look also for for hybrid uh, a hybrid way of of working to combine a, a physical presentation with a digital presentation because it, it allows you to 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 do storytelling in in a very different way mm-hmm. and at the museum for example for a, a quite a long time we had the database of our collection online Mm-hmm. But we soon realized, like, who is browsing a database just for fun? You know, professionals. But this is like a, a very small group of, it's a niche, a small group of people. But you don't browse a database uh, for fun. Yeah. So we are now working on sort of also curating our, our collection online. And we will bring it out um, this, this autumn. So it will be curated stories on specific parts of our um, uh, collection with good images, with good good um, uh, video, with interesting stories. Uh, because of course a database contains like very dry information, the technique, the, the, the um, often information that's, that's not always most relevant or interesting for, for your audience. So you, and I think that's, it, it's very exciting because there are so many ways to, to curate fashion, both online and, and in, in your museum. And we should not be lazy as museums, I think. We should come up with new ways in order to stay relevant for future audiences. Because that, that's really my biggest fear, that, that as a museum, you're 
no longer relevant in 10, 20 years because your audience is no longer interested in you. We, we, it's a big challenge um, to get in um, uh, younger audiences um, and you, you really have to keep on working on, on the connect, connection with, um, you know, the, the digital born uh, generation. Digital natives, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, tell me about that then. So September 4th, the big reveal, you're gonna have a whole bunch of exhibitions, the Momu's back. Uh, tell me a little bit about what you've got in store, what we can look forward to, what's going to be happening. Well, we have our opening weekend, uh, uh, September 4th and, and 5th. We we um, do a lot of workshops, uh, guided tours. Um, uh, there will be music. Um, so we, we hope it can be like a, a big feast. Of course, we have to wait a little bit how how Corona will, will evolve and what the the um, what we are allowed to do and, and whatnot. We will present um, three different exhibitions. First on ground floor is uh, a collection presentation and that's that's an entire uh, entirely new space. Uh, it's the first time we have an exhibition space for our collection. It will have a focus on on um, Belgian fashion. Uh, but also we will uh, present pieces from our historic collection, but of course uh, we are known for our um, um, contemporary um, uh, Belgian um, fashion, so that will have um, the main focus. Then we will have a um, second exhibition on the first floor called Emotion. It's a wordplay on emotion and motion. Because um, I thought it was really important uh, to reopen a fashion museum and then also to reflect on the state of fashion today. And the exhibition focuses on how, on the big transformative moments of the past three decades, okay. um, beginning of the 90s up to now, um, and how uh, fashion designers and artists have responded to these transformative moments. That can be, can be a crisis like 9-11, that can be um, health crises like HIV, but also the, the current pandemic. Yep. Um, and how that can also be the, the, the internet revolution, the digital yep. revolution, and how uh, designers have, have responded. We've also, um, during the pandemic, we've interviewed uh, many designers, both active and non-active uh, designers, and a lot of fashion students. We have interviewed uh, fashion students from eight different um, fashion schools, and we are reworking um, those interviews in a, into a performance that will also be part of the ex exhibition. So that that's Very a way cool. of, of yeah of, of experimenting. It's a bit scary, <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, we want to to. I, I really felt the need to 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 have a live aspect mm -hmm. uh, in 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 the exhibition and to 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 see how to really generate a, a very emotional moment in the exhibition. And we will see how, how it, how it um, um, works out. In the envelope, that's good, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> and then um, the third exhibition is called uh, Places, Looking Through Antwerp Place. And it will open um, um, end of September. It's an exhibition both at uh, Momu, but also at four different um, venues in um, uh, the city mainly um, um, historic houses. We have some of the most beautiful historic houses in Antwerp, but these are, are all venues that have um, his, um, a link, a historical link to either lace uh, production um, or lace trade. Um, we focus on the, the, the beginnings of, of, of lace, the, the 16th century, uh, when uh, Antwerp played a very uh, important role 
in um, the production and, and international trade of um, lace. And so the locations are the uh, Plantain Moretus uh, Museum, which we all know it, it was a world famous printing family, but a uh, few people know that uh, Christophe Plantain um, had two daughters who uh, started their own lace business at a very young age. They were 12 years old. They did their own bookkeeping, their own accountancy, and it was a very lucrative business. So one of the storylines in this exhibition is also the role that women um, and girls played, um, which was often quite a, um, an active role. So it was not all, all only passive and, 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 and making the lace, but also having active roles within the, the, um, uh, the trade of lace. Um, then we have the Charles Borromeo Church, which is the, the most beautiful Baroque church in Antwerp. We have the Snedders Rokox uh, House and the Maiden's House, which is a former uh, orphanage where the girls were uh, taught how uh, to make lace and also um, um, helped in the production of um, uh, specific commissions. I love that you're you're taking the museum and you're pushing it out into the world a little bit and giving it context within the space of, of the city itself. Mm -hmm. That's brilliant and again unexpected. Um, and maybe I also have to to add that it's yep. it's not only the 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 the, the history of, of of lace and Antwerp, but we also do um, interventions with contemporary fashion, and it's a selection of uh, contemporary uh, designers that uh, refer to lace both in concept or form. Wow. All right. Well, you mentioned the, you know, the, the role of women in, in the industry and in, in lace specifically, but, you know, as a woman in a leadership position, I'm wondering, you know, what are some big life lessons or, or advice you would give for future female leaders? Um, what, mm -hmm. what would you say that, you know, is a key thing to know or to do? Mm -hmm. Uh, that's a very nice question, I think, because it's, um, I think we still have a lot of <laughs> work to do as, as women. I see still too few few women in, in leadership um, positions. And what I've often noticed the past years is that a lot of women are very hesitant to, to take up uh, management positions. I think one of the reasons is that women often think that they have to be perfect from the first day. Mm -hmm. So my, my advice is allow yourself a learning curve, mm -hmm. allow yourself a learning path. Uh, nobody is a perfect manager or a perfect leader the, the, the first day. Um, and I, so I, I have already convinced some women to take up positions and, 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 and I, I often think it's a pity, like, you know, we, we have to believe in ourselves and we have, to have, we have to allow ourselves to make mistakes and also to, to learn and to grow. Give ourselves permission to make those mistakes, yeah. those learn yeah. lessons. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's also, if I look back at my, my, um, my own career, I was very insecure when I first became director. I, I had been um, curator, I think, for six or seven years. So I was not so much afraid of the, the, um, the creative direction. But I was very much afraid about the financial management of the museum. I had some experience, but I didn't have. And I, I remember my uh, that I told my boss, <laughs> like, yeah, I don't have, I didn't study management, I didn't study economics. And, and he said, he replied, I did neither, you know, and I also, you know, <laughs> cope and, and I learned. And so it's very important to have people around you that that advise you, you know, invest, invest in a network, people that coach you, that help you, people you trust. Mm -hmm. Even if at times, if you're scared or insecure that you can, you, you have a network to, to fall back on. 
Absolutely. Surround yourself with other powerful women and, and men yeah. who are, yeah, you know, I'm always surround yourself with great minds. I absolutely agree and, and suggest that mm -hmm. to my daughters. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. All right. So time for the five generic fashion questions that okay. I ask everybody. Here we go. And this one I'm very curious about. What is your favorite piece of clothing that you own that you cherish above all others? Uh, also difficult question because <laughs> I cherish I cherish a lot of of my, my the clothes in my um, wardrobe. I I I can very uh, I I don't throw things away. <laughs> I keep everything Neither. even if it doesn't fit anymore. Um, but there's this one one jacket of Anne Müller which I bought I think 15 years ago. It's a leather jacket in this very very soft leather, and it just gets more beautiful um, the more I I, I wear I wear it the the more beautiful it gets. It it I can I I've worn it with an evening dress. I have worn it with jeans. I've worn it you know informal formal. And yeah, it's definitely one of my my uh, my favorite pieces, and it it has a great cut, uh, especially what I always love with with uh, and the Mullmith are the shoulders. The, yeah. the cut of the shoulders is is uh, so beautiful, mm -hmm. and it it fits like a glove. Um, yeah. It sounds like That's heaven. Yeah, those, <laughs> those pieces, are like again the the jacket. Yes, again this jacket. <laughs> I, I absolutely can relate. Um, so you talked about this piece that you've worn for 15 years and I have a number of pieces again that, you know, I have a Yoji Yamamoto, you know, denim patchwork skirt that should lives on my wall because I've never been able to wear it, but you know, that kind of thing. Um, mm -hmm. But what about, what would you recommend for people who don't have a budget, you know, who, who are, should, what is that piece that they sh should save up for? The one that they should really invest in and above all else, is there a particular piece that will last, you know, the test of time, would you say? Well, again, a difficult question. No, I think that there's not one piece. I, my advice is just invest in quality because that, you know, the, that jacket of Anna Mullemist was a very expensive one, but I still wear it after 15 years. It's, it's, um, I've worn it on so many occasions that, that it's, it's, it's worth the budget. And I really, at that time, I also had to save up for it. Invest in quality and, and yeah. Yeah, I absolutely agree. The, you know, the, you don't want to ever, it sounds like an easy, you know, buy it at H&M and your whatever, uh, you know, fast yeah. fashion. And then, you know, you wear it three times and it falls apart, but yeah. we wear the yeah. same. I have a, an Hermes piece that I bought 25 years ago and my husband just about killed me at the time, but you know, now yeah. we get it, I still wear it. This is going to be a hard one for you. Another hard question. Who is your favorite designer living or dead? Which is the one that <laughs> that, that, that's a, that's I for me that's impossible to answer I cannot I cannot I cannot answer that question because I have I mean especially in Antwerp and Belgium we are so spoiled with so many talented designers mm -hmm. and I love so many of them even if I uh even if I, I I don't wear all all of of their collections it's not always my personal taste but I I can, you know, from a prof professional point of view, I there are so many designers that I absolutely adore and, and love. So I'm not going to give you one name. <laughs> <laughs> I, I figured as much, but I had to ask the question. Uh, what trend will you never follow? I, I there's also one one question I cannot answer because I I'm I'm I always want to be very open. Never say never. <laughs> um, and. Yeah, and of course, you, as a woman, you feel that if you grow older, you're not, you know, you're not allowed to wear certain things anymore, and and you have to cover up certain parts of 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 your body. Mm -hmm. But I think 
you feel different in in every stage of your life and i i don't know how i feel will feel about my body when i'm 60 or or 70 mm -hmm. so i don't know what i i will wear then and and um it's very hard eh, to you don't uh, you cannot predict the future in fashion you don't know which which items or which designs will return and 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 that's also I think the exciting thing about fashion. It's always a surprise. It's a surprise, and sometimes you think, oh my God, no, not not that that trend or not that garment or not that color or, you know. But I'm I always like to be quite open open minded. Even I also have two daughters, and they already now are doing their own thing. And I'm I'm like, okay, I have to let it go. I once tried with the argument, you cannot wear that. And I know because I am the director of a fashion museum. And my husband said, are you really saying that to your children? <laughs> I'm like, okay, no, no, I have to, I have to let go. That's, uh, and it's also nice to see how they, how they see their own, their bodies and how, what they think is beautiful and how they experiment with, with garments. And I think I have to give them that freedom. You are preaching to the choir. I have the exact same experience. <laughs> the things, you know, I'm just like, I would never, but, you know, but I, I look back at the photos of myself in the 80s and go, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. And I thought it was so fabulous. <laughs> just anyway, um, yeah, that just takes me back. Um, last question, and you kind of answered this already, but what do you love most about fashion? Uh, I think always the surprise element. You, you, you cannot, the, the fact that it's un unpredictable, That that it changes so so fast, it changes too fast. Um, I I think, but I I like that. I like the 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 surprise element and the dynamics, the dynamics of of, of fashion. Uh, but it's 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 double. It's it's because it's I think it's going too fast, and we we all know that that we have to slow down the the rhythm. Mm -hmm. That the rhythm today is not sustainable. But I love the the fun aspect, the creativity, the emotion. Sometimes I feel we we lose that a little bit in fashion, so we have to work on that. I think to just keep the emotion in fashion alive. Yeah, especially when there's so much so much content, yeah. so much to see, then you lose. You know, it, it's almost spoiled for choice, makes it impossible to actually appreciate anything. Yeah, yeah. It has been such delight speaking with you, and I have to say, I'm just crushed that we haven't done this sooner because I've just been. Yeah. So <laughs> Really, really cool. No, it was, it was fun, Jessica. It was, uh, it was a pleasure to, to do this. Listen, good luck, as they say in French, merde. Good luck for, for the exhibition and the thank opening. You. It works out great. Thank you so much for speaking with me. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> And hope to, hope to see you in Antwerp soon. Yeah, me too, me too. Fingers crossed. All right, bye. Take care. Bye. Don't want to miss an episode of Fashion Your Seatbelt? No problem. Just go to iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts and click on the subscribe button. Then every new episode will drop into your feed automatically. No fuss, no muss. Believe me, I know. I'm Jessica Michaud.